Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. I want to talk to you this morning, and my message title is this, Christmas Means. Christmas Means. And I want to unpack some of the real meaning behind Christmas. And, um, you know, we live in an interesting world, you know, we, and especially when it comes to the time of Christmas, you've got these two kind of opposing views of Christmas that all play out at once in our lives. So, you know, so as a, as a Christian, the traditional view of Christmas, you know, we're celebrating the nativity. We're celebrating God becoming human and coming to earth, right? We are celebrating this monumental moment, this history-splitting moment. And, and so it's so important to believers. And then you have also that runs alongside that secular Christmas that basically involves Santa Claus and elves and reindeer and expensive gifts, you know, and all of that. And so we've got these two views that merge together at this time. And it's interesting because as a Christian, you can become uncomfortable about some of this, right? So you can go to your shopping center and maybe you have seen the nativity scene that traditionally was there replaced by Santa's elves and his little workshop, you know, and you can be uncomfortable as a Christian. But hey, you've got to realize you can also be uncomfortable as, as a secular person, right? Because you could go into Kmart to do your shopping. You hear the pop hits of Christmas begin to play, and you're singing along to I wish it could be Christmas every day, and all I want for Christmas is you. And then all of a sudden, bang, hark the herald angels start singing. And your five-year-old turns to you and says, Mom, what does offspring of a virgin's womb mean? We are living in a clash of cultures. Come on. Come on, and you've got to navigate all this. For me personally, I don't have an issue with the secularization of Christmas. I think, mate, I'll use anything that gives me an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And so I think, let's roll with it. You know, my neighbors, I can invite them around at Christmas. Let's have a Christmas drink and we can talk. You know, I can invite my friends and family to church at Christmas. That's not a strange thing to do. That's completely acceptable. You know, I can give a gift through Wrap It Up. And a person who's struggling this Christmas can get a personal message from my family to theirs saying, hey, we're thinking of you and we're praying for you this Christmas because of what Jesus did. So I think we've got a great opportunity, but we do live in this tension. And so I want to look at, you know, what does Christmas mean? What does Christmas mean? And here's the deal. Christmas in the religious sense has been here a long time. Christmas in the commercial sense is relatively new. So in, in, in 221 AD, a Christian historian called Sextus Julius Africanus decided that in the Christian calendar to place the birth of Jesus on the 25th of December. So he, he, didn't, he wasn't saying that Jesus was born on that day, but he said, hey, let's choose that day to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Reading some historians now, they, they think that Jesus was probably born around the 20th of March. The reason that people are unsure is because in Jewish culture, it wasn't common to celebrate or remember your birthday. That's a modern phenomenon. People didn't used to celebrate birthdays in that culture. And so, you know, it's not surprising that it wasn't a marked date. But this historian made the decision, hey, we should celebrate this because when Jesus came to earth, it was a you know, life-defining, world-changing moment. And then about 900 AD the Christian church really began to make that part of its practice. 
So around 980 churches started to actually gather and celebrate Christmas like we do, where we're celebrating Jesus' birth and all that he did, right? And then in about in the 20th century, so you're talking about a thousand years later, secular Christmas came about. And it came about primarily through commercialization. That actually businesses worked out we can sell product based on this, you know? And along came Santa and the reindeers and elves and extravagant presents and the Christmas pop songs and all the other stuff that you see. And so that's the kind of history that we're speaking into. And what I want to look at is, hey, what was really happening in traditional Christmas? So why is that so important to us as believers? And why do we need to, you know, make a point in the Christian calendar of celebrating that? So I want to unpack it. And normally when you tackle this, you'll read the passages, you know, at the beginning of the Gospels that talk about Jesus being born of a virgin and him being born in a manger and shepherds coming and kings coming and the star and all that cool stuff. But instead today, we're going to look at a kind of, we're going to go kind of beneath that and what was actually taking place, what was happening for humanity as a result of Jesus coming. I'm going to read to you from 1 John 1, 1 to 4, it's from the Amplified Translation, it says this. I am writing about what existed from the beginning. What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The one who existed even before the beginning of the world, Christ. He's saying this, the God who is eternal came to earth Fully human, yet fully God. And we touched him, we saw him, we heard him. I personally witnessed that. And the life and aspect of his being was manifested. And we have seen it as eyewitnesses. And we testify and declare to you the life, the eternal life, who was already existing with the Father and was actually made visible to us, his followers. He's saying this is literally God being visible, God being able to be interacted with and spoken to and engaged with, it happened in a whole new way because God became man. What we've seen and heard, we also proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship as partners with us. And indeed our fellowship, which is a distinguishing mark of born-again believers, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things to you so that our joy in seeing you included may be made complete by having you share in the joy of salvation. The Christmas message, one of the things the Christmas message means, I'm going to share with you four things. The first thing is it means salvation by grace. It means salvation. I was, I was thinking, how can I put this in a more contemporary way? You know, how can I say this in a more contemporary way? But there's not a better way to say it. So I've got to kind of roll with this and try and unpack it for you, right? Salvation by grace. It's saying... It's saying that, that you and I can come into eternal life. It means you and I can be reborn through relationship and connection to God. And that actually that possibility is not achieved by anything we do, but it's achieved literally by coming to Jesus. So you don't do anything, you start a relationship with someone. Why is that possible? How can that be real? Because people literally did it with Jesus, in the flesh, fully human, fully God. And now they're saying that he's died, ascended to heaven. Because of what he's done, all of us can come into relationship with God. And now you and I can hear him, speak with him, and connect with him. Why? Because God sent his Holy Spirit after he departed that we might continue to have that closeness 
and intimacy with him. That's what it's talking about. And John, I love it that when John starts at the beginning of this, he talks about, he calls Jesus the word, the life, the eternal life. These are unusual phrases to use for a human being. They're strange. You know, it's like me saying, Pastor Izzy has wisdom. You would agree, I hope. Yes, he has wisdom, right? But if I said to you, Pastor Izzy is wisdom, it would be weird, right? But of God, often the Bible says that. He is the word, the life. He is salvation. He is love. I mean, imagine if you're saying, you know, that person is loving. No, no, they are love. This is what he's saying. And it's reminiscent of the beginning of the book of John, which is the gospel of John. Right at the beginning, he says something very similar. He says this. In the beginning, before all time, was the Word Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God himself. He was continually existing in the beginning, co-eternally with God. So in the beginning of his gospel, he's telling you, hey, Jesus is all God. He's all God, and yet he's all human. And then in this passage, again, in 1 John, he starts in a really similar way, where he talks about Jesus being the Word, the life, the eternal life. You know, I love this. It doesn't say Jesus points the way to eternal life. It says he is eternal life. Every other religion, every other founder of a major religion is telling you, I'm pointing you. I'm pointing you to eternal life. Jesus is saying, I am eternal life. I'm not pointing you to it. Come to me and receive it. It's radically and significantly different to any other proposition when it comes to religion. No other person, no other religion claims to say, he is life, he is love, he is wisdom, he is sinless. No one else takes these attributes except Jesus. How can it be? It can only be if he was God. It can only be if he was indeed what he says he was, which is fully man and yet fully God. And so Christmas is about salvation through grace, right? Christmas also... Oh, actually, sorry, before I move on. Some people will say, I don't need salvation by grace. I don't need salvation by grace. And usually by making that statement, they're saying one of two things. They're either saying, I believe my behavior to be already acceptable to God. So really, I believe I'm good enough anyway to come into eternal life. And so, you know, I don't need salvation by grace. Or they will say, hey, I don't really subscribe to the whole concept of religion, and so I'm putting my trust in my ability as a human being to live a good and worthwhile life. Both of those opinions, when you scratch the surface, usually will lead to fear and insecurity. And here's why. The first one is saying this, man, I've got to do good enough to get to God, right? So I've got to be good enough, or I've got to be good enough to live by a moral standard which I set or, or the philosophy I subscribe to sets. So I've got to all the time meet that standard and that will breed insecurity. Or what will happen is it will be pride, which is this. I'm doing so well by living up to these standards. What is wrong with the rest of you? You know, and you meet people like that. They will say, well, I'm living great, but what is wrong with this broken agradic? Pull yourself together. Now, there's no mercy, there's no grace, there's no, wow, but for the grace of God, go away. There's none of that. It's like, come on, you weak person, pull yourself together. You should be strong like me. And so it leads to this kind of insecurity or fear-based kind of life. And what God wants is not for us 
to experience those things. You know, I can remember before as a Christian, I would oscillate between these two concepts. So I'd oscillate. So I remember, you know, I remember as a Christian, I had no concept of God. I used to think, man, you know, I should have a better career by now. You know, I should have been more successful in relationships than I am by now. You know, I should have more money than I do now. You know, all the time I could not live up to my own standard. My own standard. You know, I'm falling short of my standard. Then the next minute I'm driving my car, someone pulls in front of me. I'm like, look at this idiot. He can't even drive. What am I saying? I, you should drive like me. What is the wrong with the rest of you? Just be like me and the world would be a better place. Both areas are completely flawed. Do not work. Come on. Lead to, come on. Come on. Come on. There's a third way, which is this. I put faith in Jesus. I come to God. I surrender my life. I believe that the story of Christmas is true that there's salvation by grace in God. That actually I can come to God, I can be accepted by God, I can come into eternity not because anything I've done, but because of God's love and his acceptance and because of what he's done for me. That actually just through relationship with Jesus, I can receive all of these things, you know? And I can have a peace in my life that actually no matter what happens in my life, it's not all dependent on me, but actually now I'm dependent on my God who I'm connected to in relationship, who's guiding me and leading me and helping me and loving me. And listen, and when I mess up, forgiving me. Forgiving me. Christmas means salvation by grace. And the second thing is that I want to say is that Christmas means that this story is real. This story is real. You know, when you hear about the mythical Santa and elves and all that stuff, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fictional story. But what you're hearing about when the church celebrates the birth of Jesus is a, an historical event that really took place. And this is so important because if you don't believe that, that Christmas means salvation by grace, then, then all that the life of Jesus is in the Christmas story is a nice example. It's a nice example. It's a nice way to live. It's got, you know, it's a hopeful story. You know, it can show you how to live. There's good moral teaching. But it doesn't need to be factual. It can be fictional and still have value. But if you're saved by grace, if your salvation comes by grace, you need this story to be real. This needs to be real. Jesus needs to really be God, really have come to earth, really be born of a virgin, really have died on a cross, really to have risen again three days later. You need that to be true in order to have relationship with God. And so what John is doing here, when he says, I've seen him, I've touched him, I've heard him. He doesn't say it, but he could add it, I've smelt him. Right? Here's what he's saying. This is absolutely true. I'm not telling you a story that someone told me. I've seen him personally. Many, many of us have. We're writing about it. We're recording it. This really happened. And in fact, scholars say that when, when John speaks, he's using language that's reminiscent with a court scene. He's actually swearing like an affidavit. He's more similar to what he's saying. He's not having a conversation saying, yeah, Jesus, yeah, born in a stable and born of a... No, no, he's saying this, I saw him. I touched him. I testify. I swear this is the truth. That's how he's delivering that. Why? Because it's of infinite importance to you and to I and to the globe. And so John is saying this is the real deal. <laughs> you know, one of the things that most convinces me, that most convinces me 
about I can trust in Jesus and believe in the story of Christmas. One of the things that most convinces me is that Jesus, his brothers, and his mother followed him. You know, I could, I, you know, I could start a cult and say to some, and maybe convince some people, I am the saviour. I am sinless. They may believe me, but you bring my sister in. She'll be like, How, sit down. How long do you have for me to unpack this heresy? You know, it's like, you know what I mean? Come on. Your family know you. And for your mum, and maybe your mum, I don't know, maybe your mum would follow you. But your brothers and sisters, no chance, mate. They're going to be telling you straight away, he's not what he says he is. He's not all that. But come on, Jesus' brothers followed him, it says. It says that his siblings were around him. And we know that James, his brother, wrote books of the Bible. Now, after Jesus' death, continued to preach and follow Jesus and died as a result of it. So we can put great faith that this story is true. Christmas means that this story is real. The third point is this. Christmas means a relationship with God is possible. Christmas means a relationship with God is possible. In verse 1 and 2, he's kind of saying, I testify to you that this is true, that Jesus came. Then he shifts it in verse 3 and 4, where he's saying, hey, relationship with God is possible. And he uses this word fellowship. I've changed it for the word relationship because I think it's easier to grasp. But it says this in 1 John 1, 3. What we have seen and heard, we also proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship as partners with us, and indeed our fellowship, which is a distinguishing mark of born-again believers, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This word fellowship in the Greek, it's the word koinina, koinina. And it means this. It means two people that are interdependent. Two people that are connected with one another. I love this. It's not saying that you come to God and the one-way street of communication is God telling you what to do. It's actually a two-way street. You converse, he converses back. You communicate, he communicates back. This is a two-way deal. That's what it's talking about. You know, I was thinking about this. You, know, you could admire somebody from a distance. You know, maybe a politician, or maybe not. <laughs> or maybe an author. Or maybe, maybe, you know, there's someone you look up to and you can follow them and you can study their life and you can be in awe of the things they did. And you can, you can know a lot of information about them. But they have got, they've got no clue who you even are. It's one kind of, kind of you know, relate, it's not a relationship, but it's information you can have. It's not that. It's not that that we're talking about. You can have an acquaintance. This is someone you meet in the street and you converse at a shallow level. How are you? How's your job going? Blah, blah, blah. You know, that's an acquaintance. But this word, it's more talking about a close representation would be best friend. Best friend. What's that? That's someone who knows everything about me. They know it all. My darkest secrets they know. Yet they completely accept me. They fully love me exactly as I am. But listen, this word is saying it's also two-way. That you can know God. You can know God. You can know, you can know a lot about God. You can know His heartbeat. You can know His intention. You can hear His whisper. You can be intimately connected with God, where He's tangibly moving and speaking in your life, where you can say, I know Him that I know Him. To the point of where you can say, I know God more than I know another human being. God is more real to me than another human being. So come on. Come on. That's what it's talking about. That's what it's talking about. All that is possible. That relationship is possible because Jesus became completely human, fully human, fully God. I don't know about you, I can grasp the fully God part, it's the fully human part. 
I struggle with. Often we struggle with that. He was fully human. You can relate with him. He did it so that you can really see what God is like. God is so much greater than us, so much vaster. You can't comprehend God. It's too removed. So God became a person so that you might comprehend. So you might see, you might experience, you might touch, you might feel, you might hear, that you might really know. And you know, I, I love it, you know, other religions, you know, they, they just can't get near this. They can't get near this intimacy in Christianity. You know, Eastern religions don't even grant the possibility of a personal relationship. You know, God is an impersonal force. You can merge with that force, but you cannot have a personal communion with it. You can't have a conversation with it. Now, other faiths do talk about a personal God, but one that's far removed. <laughs> Too distant to have an intimate relationship, or you're not clean enough to come into an intimate relationship. Only in Christianity does it say that so there was no barrier, God became one of us. God became one of us. So there would be no barrier. You can come up to him like you can come up to another human being, boldly into his presence, without condemnation, without fear, without judgment, but to receive love and hope and forgiveness and mercy. Listen, and understanding, because he's faced all the temptations you've faced. He's faced the challenges you've faced. He's felt the pain you've faced. He knows what it is to loss, to lose someone that he loves. Jesus weeps in the Bible over loss. He sees people die. He sees affliction. He sees the broken world. He lives in it and says, I love you and I'm for you so much. I'll become a part of the mess that I might fix the mess. This is radically different than any other story you will ever hear. Come on, we need to stand, we need to sing, we need to celebrate this. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us and special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.